I just read about it in this book. You know, you, you know, you don't fly, you don't do business, it's not. So I'm stopped at a red light. And I'm thinking to myself, should I keep Shabbos? Should I, should, I, should I keep Shabbos? I look up from the red light, and on the back of the New York City taxi cab, it says, remember to keep the Sabbath. The moment that I was having that contemplation, the moment I was thinking about whether or not to keep Shabbos or not Shabbos, that was on the back of a New York City taxi cab. Like a sticker. Sticker. Bumper sticker. Bumper sticker. Welcome to From Forward, a podcast where we have real discussions with real people. This is your host, Yosef Manicheri. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Alrighty, welcome to From Forward, guys. Um, today we have on, we have the honor of having on Rabbi Tzvi Cutler. He has quite the story to tell. And uh, he's also known as the Jiu-Jitsu Rabbi. He's a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's also a Rebbe and teaches at Orsameach. Um, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. My pleasure to talk about my story and um, and what brought me here. Yeah, and when I, when I met you and, and when you told me your story for the first time, I was like, wow, this is this is an incredible story. And I think people listening will will find it inspiring. And also, like you you can we'll talk about this later in the podcast, but you should definitely write a book on your story. And it's uh it's really inspiring. So let's let's get into it. Um, so what, what was your upbringing like? Um, <laughs> like where did you grow up? And I grew up what were your in parents like? Oceanside, Long Island. Oceanside, Long Island is the most homogeneous, white, upper middle class town that exists in America. Um, there's no black people. There's no Spanish people. There's also very, very little um, in terms of Yiddishkeit. Uh, it's starting to grow now, but when I grew up there, there was a young Israel there that uh, had 20, 30 families, 40 families, something like that. Um, I went to public high school, uh, public high school in Oceanside, uh, boys and girls together, um, and uh, played on all the sports teams, played on all the sports teams there from whether it was from swimming to football to to, to wrestling, I was an all-American wrestler. I, well, there I was an all-county wrestler, New York State wrestler. Um, started on the football team when I was from tenth grade. Um, I just give you a quick background. You were not from at all, not religious at all, in the slightest. Oh. So my father, my father is a, is a Russian Russian immigrant, Russian Russian Jewish immigrant, and uh, like most of the Russians that came over. Um, the motherland Russia did a very good job of rooting out all uh, religious uh, religion for many, many, many Jews. And my father was came over as a completely secular Jew, moved to left Russia, um, was asked to leave Russia in the very early seventies. One of the first first people, first uh, of the of the of the original immigrants that was able to leave Russia. Um, actually moved to Eretz Yisrael, met my mother on a bus in Eretz Yisrael. What was he doing in Eretz Yisrael? Um, that was the first place that, they, that he was allowed out in, into. Right? That was just when the, the Russians were starting to be allowed out of Russia and Israel was was accepting them. Um, he came over here as an electrical engineer. Came over here as an electrical engineer and actually was building military facilities here, military, big military facilities, um, came over and ended up getting the highest grade electrical engineering uh, degree. 
level status, and he was building military facilities here uh, with all the rest of the Russians that were coming over. And then his parents, who also came with him, decided that it was too hot in Eretz Israel. I mean, this is a family that uh, my grandfather was a World War II general. He was actually a general in World War II fighting against the, the Nazis. Um, they were used to the cold weather. My father spent many years in Siberia um, be- because uh, the Ukrainians at the time wouldn't allow Russians to go to college. They wouldn't allow him to go to college. He lived in Finland, he was in Kiev. Yeah, so he had to go to Siberia in order to learn. So he was, they were used to cold weather. And uh, the, uh, the Tel Aviv uh, heat didn't do it for them. So they went to the promised land. They moved to America. They moved to America in the, in the uh, I guess, in the late 70s. The late 70s. And I was born there. I was born there. I had an older brother who was born here in, in Israel. And I was born in America, in Brooklyn. And my parents then moved to Oceanside. Um, yeah. Very cool. And, and your, your parents were... What were they like? Were they religious? Did they would they observe Shabbos at all? Was it like a Yom Kippur? Oh, so there, we had no religion in my house. Um, we kept no mitzvahs. There was no 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 kashrus, no 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 Shabbos. Was there a concept of Judaism? There was no concept of Judaism. There was um, my next door neighbor, one of my a few doors down. His name was Abe Cohen. He wore a kippah. We thought he was like the most religious man in the world. He was probably <laughs> modern. If, if not, if, if, if maybe he was even conservative or something like that. But, um, you know, he would come over and apparently we would be, my, my family would be scrambling to hide the bread on, on Pesach. I didn't even know what Pesach was. I didn't know there was such a thing called Sukkot. Um, there was no Yom Kippur. There was no Shabbos. There was no um, anything. There was only one mitzvah that we kept in my house. And this is, I'll never forget that uh, we, my mother lit, uh, Hanukkah candles. My, right. mother, my mother lit Hanukkah candles. That was the, the one thing that I remember. But aside from that, we, we we were a completely secular family. Oh, wow. And what did your friend group look like then? Like, my friend you, group? And are you still in touch with any of those? Oh, it's a great question. My friends, uh, I had a very diverse f- friend group, mostly because I was very involved in sports. So the, you know, the most of the... My, my, the high school itself was... I would say approximately 30% Jewish, maybe something along those lines. I know because you could read the honor roll based on how many kids were in the high school and you could see how many of them were Jewish and that's how you knew how many kids. But uh, um, the, um, so the, the, the high school is maybe 30% Jewish and my, and my, so therefore my friends were, were a mixture of both, both, uh, both Goyim, both, uh, and, and, and Jews. Um, I had good, good friends that were Jews. And it, and it was interesting because in the high school itself, the Jewish kids tend to stick with the Jewish kids, even though there was zero emphasis on religion. These guys were, well, they were reform or conservative, but aside from having a, a, a bar mitzvah, that, you know, was really just a big party. Um, aside from that, there was never talk or speak of a religious thing ever again. It didn't exist. Um, so I had, but even though there was still, it was still diversified in many ways. There was the Jewish people, kids who, who hung out with the Jewish 
kids, and then the the goyish, goyish uh, goyim that uh, they would hang out amongst themselves as well. And I happened to be friends with everybody, so in the I, middle. so I was in the middle. So I would have I would be hanging out with them, and I'd be hanging out with them. Um, and for me, it was just uh, these are good guys, and these are more fun guys, I guess maybe more fun guys, <laughs> more fun guys, the good guys and the more fun guys. So yeah. What was your association with Judaism? Like in um, high school, college? In high school and college, I, I, had, I had no, no association with Judaism. I, the, except, it's very interesting. Um, I would, uh, there were times that I, 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 would, I would talk to God. I would, I would, I would do his boat route. I would talk to God. I knew exa- God existed, even though I had absolutely no training or, or, or introduction to him. Um, growing up, one of my favorite movies, if not maybe my favorite, was The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Also, my father happened to watch it every single, you know, Pesach time it would come around on public television. And my father would always watch it, which was very interesting because he was like, didn't care. So there was some sort of subconscious connection. There was some kind of subconscious thing going on. But uh, in terms of anything outward, there was no, there was no connection to Judaism. Wow. Back then, what was your drive to get up in the morning? What was what was your meaning? What was your what wow. was your why? Wow, I was very involved in sports. So um, in training, um, I was trying to be you know a very good wrestler. I was trying to be the best football player, best wrestler that I could be. Um, but in terms of uh, like a drive or anything like. I don't know. I, I don't think that I had a drive. Any a drive? I just happened to be a. I happened to be a very determined person in terms of the fact that um, I like to be the best at whatever it is that I do. Um, I just didn't have any particular aim at being the best, except for maybe in in certain sports areas or winning the, like the local two on two basketball game. Um, I didn't have a particular drive to be to to wake up, and I didn't have any goals. I didn't have any you know. A, major uh, desires to try and fulfill um, just kind of being the best at whatever was in front of me more. Yeah. And how did you get involved in jujitsu? Like I know Uh, we met on the mats and I remember Steven was like, he pointed over to you. He's like, that's a very dangerous man. He looks like a a Haredi Haredi rabbi, but he'll destroy you on the mats. How did you get involved in jujitsu back back then? Because it was very new. It wasn't, wasn't like it is now. Everyone knows about it. Right. Um, so, like I said, I wrestled. I wrestled all through high school. I wrestled through college. Um, I was an all-American wrestler. Uh, I also have a black belt in American freestyle combat, which I happened to pick up. Um, uh, I was uh, I was kind of like um, just. It was a. I was working in a. I was a lifeguard. I was working. A, I was working at a at a summer camp, and there was some guy over there who was uh, in charge of teaching the kids martial arts. So you know, one day they had he had the mats. So I I asked him. I said, you know, let's uh, let's play around a little bit. So he said, you know, I don't really I don't really do that. I don't really. But I there's a group of guys who trained in my dojo. Like if you want to come down and meet them. Um, come down and meet them. So I, I went to go meet these guys and they, uh, they, they, they do like um, American freestyle combat, which I would call, I would call Krav Maga. I would call like MMA. Um, 
So I met these guys, happened to be very useful because they were all police officers and involved in the mafia, actually. Um, so it was very useful if I got in trouble later on a little bit, you know, they would, uh, get a lot of connections the, in that world. The police officers would drive me home rather than, uh, rather than, you know, rather than locking me up, maybe, um, they would put the car keys in the car and say, come on, speed, let's go, let's go home. Um, th- that was my introduction to, to martial arts. There was, you know, some classes by, 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 by. They were by some goyim that were, you know, kind of training in this free free form type of thing. Um, happened to be one day I was on the mats at NYU. I was going to do some training on my own. And I, I, and I met also randomly met two guys that were training there. And they asked me to roll around with them. Uh, I said, sure, I'm going to just mop the floor with these guys. You're a wrestler. I was a wrestler. I was an all-American wrestler. I was really good. Um, I'm going to mop. These guys don't look like they, you know, have any, you could tell what a wrestling body looks like. A person who's been doing wide and, and, and strong. And, 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 and these guys looked lanky and like, I don't know what they were doing. You were also weightlifting a lot. Sure. I was weightlifting a lot. Um, was benching 450 pounds. I was built like a, like an ox. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and so I, I see these guys and, and they're rolling around. And so they asked me to join them. So I said, sure. Um, and I said, what's the rules? Okay. So they say, it's not wrestling. You have to make the person give up. And that's jujitsu. Jujitsu is more of an art of, uh, it's imagine a giant game of mercy. If you ever play Mercy, you know, you, 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 you hold the other person's hand and you try and make them give up and they try and make you give up. So basically, jujitsu is a giant game of mercy. I'm trying to make you give up before you like submission. make submission. That's submission. Submission. Um, right? In order to win the match, whether the person has to go unconscious. So you went to roll with them. So I went to roll with them. I went to roll with them. And these guys wiped the floor with me. Absolutely wiped the floor with me. Just, just, I, I mean, it was like, it was like everything that I ever did in wrestling, like didn't exist. Um, they, <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, happened to be later on, I found out that um, the, uh, one of those two guys was John. Danahar. Danahar. John Danahar, who is uh, the world's most famous, most successful jujitsu coach. He's the, he's the. He's a, a mastermind. <laughs> mastermind. They call him the wizard. He's the um, he's a black belt from a very many degree black belt from Henzo Gracie, and uh, he was just practicing down there. So he was my introduction to jujitsu. Um, thank you, John. Appreciate it. And you also you met. Sorry, to cut you off there, but you also met um, the Gracie family. That's right. So the famous Gracie family who brought jujitsu. So to, I actually to America. Right. Um, I ended up, uh, so this, this jujitsu thing was in the back of my mind, interestingly, even though I was really only training this, um, America freestyle combat, this jujitsu thing was in the back of my mind, like, wow, whatever that was, that that's obviously the best. Cause they just wiped the floor with me. Um, I was supposed to fight. I was supposed to have an MMA fight and, um, it was, uh, a little bit after after nine eleven, I believe. Yeah, it was a little. I was at nine eleven. I actually was was there when nine eleven happened. Um, I was working in the in the building next door called the Mercantile Exchange. The Mercantile Exchange is the exchange where you trade oil and gas. Um, 
So when the news came on that the mercantile, that the World Trade Center was on fire, we went outside to look because it was the next building over. And uh, since I was working on a trading floor, the news comes on on the trading floor all the time. So you're always involved in the news. So we went outside to go and see what was going on. And as I went outside, we looked up and one of the, one of the World Trade Centers was on fire. And somebody said a building, uh, a plane hit it. And uh, said, ah, that's not really possible. It was perfectly sunny out. So um, I could, we would continue to look up at it. And then the second plane hit. So I was actually there watching the as the second plane hit. Um, I, we ran, ran. Um, one of the, if you want to know what a reality check is, uh, a jumbo jet hitting a, a, a tower in the middle of Manhattan and, and you seeing that is actually a big, a big check into as to what is actual reality, what is not reality. Um, so we ran, we left. I ended up leaving Wall Street after that. I ended up, uh, I had post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, I didn't know it at the time. I was very young and I was very, you know, involved in like, it couldn't be that something would be ever the, the matter with me. I was a wrestler. I was, but I had very, very strong post-traumatic stress syndrome. Anytime a plane would fly over me, I would shudder thinking it was going to hit me. Um, even though I was able, wasn't able to make the connection that I had, I had PTSD. And I ended up just leaving and going out to San Francisco. Uh, why did I go to San Francisco? Because they had good public transportation and I didn't have a car and it was on the other side of the country and I needed to, and I needed to decompress. I needed to leave. So when I went to San Francisco, I looked up this uh, jujitsu and I ended up in, Hens, uh, in Half Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in San Francisco where I proceeded to take uh, three sadharm a day. Three sadharm a day. Three sadharm a day in jujitsu, morning, afternoon, and evening. I was living in the, I was living in the, I guess you call it a dojo. I don't know what they call it in jujitsu in the gym. Yeah, I was living there basically with the Brazilians and, uh, and with the, the Gracie family. Um, and that's why, how I, in, that's how I got introduced to jujitsu and got pretty good at jujitsu really fast as well, because uh, I already had a wrestling background and I was um, doing three Siddharma a day with some of the best guys in the world. Wow. Uh, so I got pretty good jujitsu pretty fast. So that was my introduction to jujitsu. Uh, the Gracie family, Half Gracie, just a little story about Half. For anyone who doesn't know Half is, it's spelled with an R if you want to look it up. All right. It's spelled with an R and they spell it, right? Because all, all in Portuguese, every R is pronounced like an H. Right. And um, Half Gracie, the Gracie family, very interesting. They're, like, they're considered one of the premier fighting families in, in, uh, in all of martial arts. And uh, my introduction to Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was Half holding some guy down and eating his fingers because, because he had disrespected him in the, uh, in the dojo. So that was my introduction to Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. I still stayed. Anyway, I still stayed and continued. Yeah. And then you take a break for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I I spent a few there, a, a year or so there, and then I went out to to New York, and I was training with Henzo Gracie in New York, his brother, uh, also with some of the best guys in the world. I was train, training with George St. Pierre, who ends up ended up becoming a world champion, a UFC champion. Um, I had, I personally had, had a little bit of a nace. I, 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 Hashem helped me tremendously. 
um, that I, I was competing in the finals of the North American championships, which I won. Um, but I was trying to win without being, being scored on. And, um, right in the end of the finals match, uh, somebody lifted me up and, and slammed me breaking my neck. So I broke my neck in the finals of the, of the North American championships, the match finished. Basically I won the match. Um, but, uh, that ended my, I would say, professional competition career. Even though I did compete more after that, um, but that you know that that basically stopped me from ever becoming like a UFC fighter, a championship fighter. You, you were heading, you were you were heading that way. I was heading in that direction. I was heading in the direction of becoming a professional fighter. That was that was going to be my that that was my new goal. That was my goal. I was going to become a professional fighter. So thank God. So now, now rabbi. That's crazy. To, yeah. So that is, that, now, now I'm a rabbi. Um, after a very short period of time, I realized that, um, that God did that to me as a tremendous present because he saved me from that life and that world. Because those guys that, that, that I still know about, that I have no connection to them, but I still know about them, um, their lives did, do not turn out so, so, so well. Their lives don't turn out so well. So, Hashem, thank you, Hashem. He saved me. Sometimes you have to look backwards and you can realize that things that look like tremendous um, difficulties, tremendous pains, tremendous uh, adversity are really just presents from Hashem, really just 100% matanas from Hashem. And ha- let's get into when you, be- when you start to become religious. How, like, who introduced you to, to religion? How did, you, how did you find your way? Good. I um, I wasn't looking for religion. I was not looking for God. Um, I was. I had spent many years um, building up a, a, a business, uh, doing personal training. I left San Francisco. I came back to New York. I ended up becoming a personal trainer. Um, I was a very popular personal trainer and then I ended up becoming a private personal trainer, um, ended up owning a gym in Manhattan as well. Uh, interesting story. I, I, uh, I was using a person's private space to train my clients and, uh, his business was not doing well. And my business was doing very well because I, um, learned very early on how to manipulate Google, the, the search engine, Google. Um, so I was coming up first in all the searches without paying for the SEO. Uh, so I became a very popular personal trainer. So I, I, I made the, the, the gym owner, it was a gym owner in Manhattan. I made the gym owner a deal. I said, you, you sign over half of your gym to me and I'll make it successful. But if you don't, you're going to lose your gym because I hear you talking to your creditors on a daily basis that you're basically going to go bankrupt. So he, he, he accepted my proposal. Win-win. Win-win. And uh, I was a gym owner in Manhattan. I was a gym owner in Manhattan, uh, training my clients in, in my own gym. We opened a Pilates studio also. And one day, a beautiful girl came into the gym and decided, and to do personal training with me. And, uh, and we, we, we were training. Um, and uh, we were dating. And her family was... I hate to say it, but from her family was from, and she was off the derech, and this was going on for a year or so. And after a year, she sent me an email. 
And the email said, you know, I can't continue this relationship anymore because my family wants me to marry somebody who is shtickle religious and you're not. And so you were totally fried. I was, I'd say I still completely kept nothing. Um, wasn't even on my radar screen whatsoever. And uh, Hashem brought this person into my life to wake me up and to say that I want it back. It wasn't that I wanted to go chase after religion. I wanted it back. Hashem, you know, Hashem works in very interesting ways. He, 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 he pushes a person based on how they're going to be motivated. So for me, it was the taiva of, the, of this girl. That's how Hashem motivated me to move. So I said to myself, I want to get it back. So I'll go learn how, what it means to be religious. And then I'll try and get it back. You know? So I, I bought a couple of books. I bought uh, The Idiot's Guide to Judaism. <laughs> and uh, Living a Jewish Life. I was too embarrassed. The, the, these books are still in my mother's house. Um, uh, I was too embarrassed to, to read uh, The Idiot's Guide to Judaism to start with it. I still haven't ever seen it. Uh, but I started with leading a Jewish life. And, and, um, and in the book, it talks about the importance of keeping Shabbos. It talks about uh, that you don't fly, you don't do business. So it happened to be that same day that I was reading it, I was supposed to go fly out to, um, to Colorado to bring a gym franchise to Colorado. If you know what a franchise is, it's uh, like a McDonald's. Um, so I was going to go buy a, a franchise. I was going to become a franchisee and bring it to uh, Manhattan. So now I was going to have lots of gyms all over Manhattan. Expanding. I was expanding. I was going to become a franchisee. So uh, I thought this was a great idea. And I was supposed to fly out. <laughs> so I was getting myself ready to fly out. Um, I was driving around in the morning. I had a car in Manhattan. I had a parking garage in Manhattan. I had my own apartment in Manhattan. A dog, you know. You know, the, whole, the whole thing, yeah, the whole thing. Um, and I was driving around and I'm stopped at a red light. I'm stopped at a red light in the middle of Manhattan, Upper East Side. And all of a sudden, I have my first Jewish thought. Should I keep Shabbos or not? Right? I'm supposed to fly out. When am I supposed to fly out? Friday night. I'm supposed to fly out on Shabbos. I just read about it in this book. You know, you, you, know, you don't fly. You don't do business. It's not... So I'm stopped at a red light. And I'm thinking to myself, should I keep Shabbos? Should I, should, I, should I not keep Shabbos? I look up from the red light and on the back of the New York City taxi cab, it says, remember to keep the Sabbath. The moment that I was having that contemplation, the moment I was thinking about whether or not to keep Shabbos or not Shabbos, that was on the back of a New York City taxi cab. Like a sticker. Sticker, bumper sticker. Bumper sticker. That did not get me to keep Shabbos. <laughs> did not get me to keep Shabbos. It did get me to learn one thing. Um, when the Jews left Mitzrayim, when the Jews left Mitzrayim and, and they saw all the makas, the Dam and the Svardaya and, 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 and all the different makas, you know, the Barad, how could it be that 80% of the Jews left? I mean, how could it be that 80% of the Jews stayed? 20% left. That means millions of Jews died over there. How come they didn't just get up and leave? How come I didn't just like keep Shabbos at that moment? Like it was so obvious, like God was talking to me, right? I had a question and there it was in message. front of me. Direct. 
direct, direct. You don't get those matches anymore. You know why you don't get those matches anymore? Because Hashem can only give a person free choice. So for me, I was so far away that even if somebody would be screaming at me the answer, even if the bumper sticker would be in my face, I still wouldn't. I still would just have only free choice. It's only based on how far away you are. That's how much Hashem can help you, right? It's in order to give you free choice. He can't tell you what to do. That, and you, you, didn't make, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't do anything. You didn't decide. You didn't have Bechira. So, so I tried. I, I, I still, I, I, I decided I was going to go to the airport still. I was still going to fly out. <laughs> there wasn't enough of the bumper sticker. Happened to be the airport was so closed. Would you say it was your first experience of finding a Shem or seeing a sign for that was That was my first experience. That was my first experience of, of, of finding a Shem. Um, from that moment forward, I saw more and more Shkacha Pratis. I tried to, I, 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 that night I tried to fly out. I showed up at the airport and the airport was closed. And I don't know why. Showed up at the airport and the airport was closed. 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 There was security and police there and I couldn't get onto my JetBlue flight to, to Colorado. Turned around, came home, said to myself, I don't know what's going on over here, but I see something's going on. So I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to try and go to a shul. I'm going to see. I'm going to see. This girl's orthodox. So it was the, it was the only time I ever intentionally broke Shabbos. Yeah. I Googled. I knew it was Shabbos. And I knew you weren't supposed to get on the computer because I read it in this book. <laughs> but I Googled orthodox shul. I showed up in the most black hat orthodox shul in the, in the, in the Upper East Side. Show up over there, and I have no—I don't know what the letter Aleph even looks like. I have no idea. I didn't—I have—I didn't learn Aleph base until I came to Osamech at 32 years old. I didn't know what the letter Aleph even looked like. I walk into the shul, and somebody grabs me by the hand. His name is Paul Zuckerman. He's not alive today. Zikhon uh, and grabs me by the hand, and he tells me, "I'll help you." I said, "Okay." The only thing I remember him doing is telling me to get up on my tippy toes for Kadusha. Kadosh, 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 get on your tippy toes. I don't know anything. I don't have one word. I don't know one letter. You can blend in a bit. I, I don't know nothing. They called me up to the Sefer Torah. I looked at them like they were uh, like, what do you, what do you want me, what do, I have no idea what you're doing. Like, what am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do? I have no idea. What am I? I didn't even, never been, I, I think I was in a shul like two times in my life. I, don't, I had nothing. Yeah. This was at what age? This is 30, got it, 31 maybe, 31 years old. Yeah. Happened to be, I walked downstairs and, you know, and happened to be is, is, is the story of my life. Happened to be. Happened to be, I walked downstairs and the rabbi who was supposed to be giving the shia, the rabbi, the rabbi of, the, of the shul was away. He gives, a, he gives once a year, he gives a shear on medical halachi. He's one of the big medical postkim in his name is Rav Blech. Rav Blech, I'm not, I, don't know if he, I don't know if he's still alive. He was pretty, he was an older man back then. And uh, this is about 15 years ago. And, um, and he was away. One Shabbos year, he gives a, a symposium, a shear somewhere else. And the person who was speaking for him was Rabbi Jonathan Feldman from Manhattan Jewish Experience, which is an organization for 20 and 30-year-olds that are just starting out in Orthodox Judaism. Happened to be the one week that I was there, that's who was there. Wow. The big Kiru rabbi in Manhattan, that's who was there. So that's how I, I, I started. So I was introduced to him. How was I introduced to him? The Rebetzin of the rabbi 
who was away. And this Paul Zuckerman introduced me to him. Right? So first Paul Zuckerman introduced me to the Revitzen. Paul Zuckerman is a 78-year-old man who grabbed me and said, and said, you know, um, you know, come with me, I'm gonna help you. So he introduced me to the Revitzen. So I shake, so I stick out my hand to shake a hand. So this 80-year-old man karate chopped me. Wham! Karate chopped my hand. What's going on over here? So we don't do that. So, okay. So you're totally oblivious. Yeah. So they introduced me to this Jonathan Feldman. And he invited me. He invited me to his house. He invited me to come to this organization. The goal of the organization is that the boys and girls, these 20 and 30 year olds, they don't intermarry. That's it. That's their, that's their goal. That's as high as it gets. Please, God, don't, don't intermarry. So maybe if Mashiach comes, then like you'll be saved. Your, your kids will still be Jewish. That's the goal. So that was the organization that I got, I got, I got started off into. And that was your first Shabbos experience? That was, yeah. That did was you my, keep Shabbos that Shabbos or was just? I did. I tried to. I read the book and like, you know, I tried not to do, not to do. I tried not to do the things that the, the, the book said not to do, right? Like turn on the lights and whatever. And then from then on, it was a gradual? From then on, it was a very growth. gradual, it was a very gradual growth. Um, until I had a very interesting experience, a little controversial. I had a dog. I had a dog and um, in Manhattan and uh, Manhattan, you know, being a single guy and having a dog is like a thing to do. Go around and go to the dog park. But I, I, for some reason, I felt having this dog was, a, was a, a difficulty in Judaism for me. It was a drawback for me. Um, and I actually- Why is that? How's that? Um, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I just had this feeling. Um, I had this feeling and uh, so I started to do some research on it. I actually looked in the, in, uh, the internet, uh, Rabbi Google and, um, and the, the dog, it, it, it's definitely frowned upon. In, in, Al-Tuma. in certain, Al-Tuma, Al-Tmuxa, a couple of things to have it as a pet. Um, definitely, in, in, definitely frowned upon. Um, so I decided, you know, I'm going to give up the dog. Give up the dog. Happened to be, I dated, I think I dated every single person in, in half of Manhattan. Um, <laughs> so I happened to have dated, Fitom, I happened to have dated the, um, the girl, the, the, the person who was in charge of the, of the facility where you give animals to if you don't want them, right? So um, I, I, I decided I'm going to give away my dog. I went and I, and, I, and I gave away the dog. And for, it was for Jewish purposes. It was for Jewish reasons. I went and I gave away the dog. And, the, um, and I left. And at that time, I was already starting to keep Shabbos. And I was already starting to keep kosher. And, um, and it was affecting my business. Because as a personal trainer, most of your clients come on Shabbos. Work was, on the weekends. Right, work on the weekends, right? So I had, and because they work during the week. So they want to come and train Shabbos morning. I would have 10, 12 clients on Shabbos morning. Um, you know, and, uh, and not 10, 12, 10, 10 clients on Shabbos, uh, eight clients, whatever it was. And um, so I, I wasn't client training them and they were getting upset because they wanted to train on those days, right? And uh, so I was losing clients and it was affecting me and I was keeping kosher and I was, I was, I was staying home for Shabbos or I would go to this Rabbi Jonathan Feldman's house. And 
I get and I gave up my dog. And the dog, if the person whoever has a dog knows that having really a dog are. is a huge part of your life. Especially if you're a single guy, it's a huge part of your life. So I gave up the dog. And I and I, as soon as I left, I walked away and I asked Hashem. I said, Hashem, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing over here? I'm keeping Shabbos. I'm keeping kosher. Like, uh, it's affecting me, you know, affecting my friends, affecting my business. Now I gave up my dog. Am I doing the right thing over here? The words didn't even come out of the, my mouth when I answered myself. I don't know if, how it worked exactly. The Shem gave me the answer to answer myself. I remember saying, I know I'm doing the right thing. And so you always had some, seems like you always had some sort of connection. Like you felt something. I felt something. Shem, yeah, I, I, I felt, uh, there was always something that, I, yeah, I felt a Shem. I felt a Shem. I was, I, I, I was there. I was talking to Hashem without nobody ever te- teaching me his motive. I was talking to Hashem. And your parents. Just sorry to cut you off again, but you're, and your parents, what, were they supportive of it? Of you becoming religious? Or was it something they, they were not into? So at this time, I was already in my early 30s and living, living by myself in Manhattan. They, they weren't really aware of it. They lived on Long Island. My father was battling... Um, battling cancer. It happened to be that he, it was Nifter the same year that I just started this process, even though it was really completely what I, from what I understand, to be unrelated. Um, and uh, they weren't aware. They weren't. They weren't aware of it. They weren't really aware of it. Um, there were times that I, I I came to visit and I I wouldn't eat from their their things, but they you know they just thought I was you know. Svi being Svi, which is means, you know, that I was just being weird or crazy <laughs> or, or whatever else, you know. And um, so they, they didn't think much of it. They just phase, I don't know. They weren't they weren't paying attention. They mm-hmm. weren't paying attention. Yeah. And being that you found religion later on in life, mm-hmm. do you do you think you appreciate it more now versus like let's say someone like me who was born what they call from from birth, like FFB? Mm-hmm. Do you think you have because you've seen both sides? You know, you've seen some people say the grass is always greener. So you've seen both sides. Not only by not only have I seen both sides, I live right I, in the times that I was, let's say, in San Francisco, or in the times that that I was in college, or I I was in some pretty deep dark places. I lived in some pretty deep dark, and I saw some pretty um, tumor filled, disgusting things, um, and and lived involved in that in in some ways. And uh, my appreciation, 100%, because I, I, I came from so far. And, I, you know, I, I, I was telling my son, I, w- I was walking with my son the other day, and, and my son is 10. And I told my son, I said, you know, you haven't had, I haven't had too many more Shabbases than you have. I mean, he's 10, and I'm, I've, been, I've been from, you know, for, four, let's say, 14 years or something like that, 15 years. So I haven't had too many more Shabbases than you have. He's had almost the same amount of Shabbases as me. And he, this is a boy that, you know, he's never seen a movie in his life. He's never played a video game in his life. He's never, his whole life is revolved around Kedusha. His life is revolved around, uh, revolved around, around learning Torah. His life in a very um, insulated environment. I live in Sanhedria, which is one of the bastions of Torah in the world and one of the most insulated um, communities in the world. Um, so, you know, my children who, who grew up there, they've never seen the other side. They, they want to go to America. They, they always ask me, can we go to America? Can we go to America? Can we go to America. 
And, you know, and I, 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 I say, why would you ever want to leave here? There's so, it's so great here. There's so much Kedusha over here. It's so pure. It's so, it so allows you such an opportunity to be connected to Hashem. You don't have to deal with, you know, so much of the Gashmias. You don't have to deal with so much of the outside influences. So for me, I see it clearly. I see the difference clearly. Um, whereas somebody who grew up from, um, since they never tasted the other side, um, maybe it would be harder for them to make the make the difference, to make the, yeah. Do you miss your past life? It took me many years not to miss my past life. When I went to Orson Beck the first time, I got on a, I got on a plane and I was supposed to go on a three-week trip. My rabbi, the rabbi Jonathan Feldman, he told me, if you ever do anything, go to Israel for a year. I went to business, big business. I went to gym. How was I going to go to Israel for a year? I had tons of clients. So I said, okay, I'm going to go on a three-week trip. It's JLE trip, that Orson Manico office. I'm going to go on a three-week trip. I went on, I got onto the airplane and I called my brother and I told my brother, listen, I'm not coming back. He said, what? He said, I'm not coming back. I said, I know I told everybody I'm going to be gone for three weeks, but I'm not coming back. Here's the codes to what you need. Please close up my business. Tell my partner I'm not coming back. And I, he said, what are you doing? I said, you close the gym. I said, well, I had a partner, but yeah, but I'm not involved. I'm, I'm out. Um, he said, what, what do you, I said, if I don't do this now, I'll never do it. I will never do it. Um, and if I don't do it like this and I, I will never do it. So I just walked away. Um, what was your question? You stay there. I was thinking you, oh, if you so missed, I stayed. I stayed in Rosemach. Yeah, so I stayed. Point. I stayed in Rosemach, and here I am at 32 years old. I'm in yeshiva, whatever yeshiva means. And um, at that time, I didn't know anything, and uh, I didn't know aleph base. I learned aleph base there, and um, <laughs> and I, the whole time I'm sitting, I'm, you know, I'm with a bunch of boys in some cramped, uh, cramped quarters, and, and you know, and. Uh, and every day I was, I was thinking to myself, when am I going to get out of here? So how was the process? When the Seagull or some, you're not religious at all. What did they mm. teach you? What did they start with? Oh, that's very good. Good question. First day they, they put you in front of a Gemara, which is interesting. Or I'm still Samech. trying to figure that out. Yeah. Or some, or some, yeah. Or some, or some, puts, puts, puts you in front of a Gemara, right? Jewish law puts you in front of a Gemara and, um, on top of in, in, in indoctrinating you in terms of uh, ashkafa, they give you classes of ashkafa, a little bit of you know what it means to be Jewish, and they give you chumash and this and that. It's kind of a full immersion. They just they just throw you right in. They throw you Shabbos, right. Shabbos, Shabbos, yeah, yeah. Um, they just throw you in. You just uh, or something that goes on a cycle. It's you know every year, just like the Jewish calendar, it goes voracious. You know, it goes right through Noach. And and the parshas and learning Torah and it's, it's a constant and 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 the fish that come in whether whatever level they're they're on meaning whatever level the bachrim come in on they just kind of jump in and and wherever wherever they fit whether it's the introductory program or the later program that's where they go and 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 the classes are are geared in order to 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 quickly give you a comprehensive knowledge of of Judaism. Uh, comprehensive knowledge of Judaism. Um, I, I personally think that there's a lot wrong with the, the system. 
Um, I've, I've spoken to many Rebbeim over there, and they uh, tell me that there's a very low retention rate, meaning... What do you think the issue is? The issue is it's very easy to be Jewish when you are in Orsameach because there's nothing else to do, and that's what everyone else is doing. But these are people, these are kids or people that um, their whole lives were spent being connected to this Tuma and that Tuma, this Taiva and that Taiva, and this community and that community. And they have no connection to a Frum life and a Frum community. And now when they get off of the plane to go back home, whether it's after three months or six months or nine months or three years or five years, they're just back, right back to where they started from. So the only thing they can do is the previous things that they knew because they don't know anything else. They don't know how to create a system. It's a tremendous, tremendous problem that the, the, from, the, 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 the Balchuva community doesn't have a good landing place once they start to become from. You, so you stayed there? Uh, I stayed in Orsamek for a year and then, you were there and then I, I left after a year and then moved to the Upper West Side because that's what you do if you live in Manhattan. I tried to restart my business. I tried to, and I was miserable. You were Shomer Shabbos by then? I was Shomer Shabbos. Uh, yeah, I still didn't read very well at all. I mean, not. Yeah, actually, I want to talk about that. Yeah. For someone who, who came from literally nothing, didn't know what Olive Biz was until you were 31. Right. What was that like learning how to dive and learning how to, learning how to read? The language, Davin, oh, Gemara, Chumash. Oh, like even yeah. someone me, like as like a lot of people, like who've even grown up in the yeshiva system from age one mm-hmm. are having, are struggling, right. struggling in yeshiva right. doing Gemara and they right. feel insecure and they feel like there's, there's so much to learn. There's so much to know. How was that being someone who you literally almost like Rabbi Akiva, like you were 31. That was your first introduction. Right. Um, it was tremendously humbling. And I thank God that Akodesh Baruch Hu gave me my experiences of wrestling and jujitsu to lead me before I started in my experiences of being and becoming a Baal Shuvah. Really, that resilience helped. Yeah, I, I became a good wrestler in high school by doing one thing. I I came in in ninth grade, and uh, I found the best guy. His name was Johnny Shaw, nice Italian guy, and. Uh, and he would beat the absolute heck out of me until he stopped beating the heck well, out of me. Well, you still do that to me on the mats. <laughs> he would beat me up until, 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 uh, until he stopped beating me up. By the end of the year, he stopped beating me up. But every single time, I would scrape, scrape myself back up and, 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 and go again and go again and go again until I drove him crazy until at the end of the year, he didn't want to go with me anymore because I was beating him. Um, same is true for jujitsu. You know, that's how you get good. You get tap and you tap and you tap and you tap and you have to keep going. It's a tremendous determination. It's a term- yeah, like white to blue belt. White to blue belt is horrible. Blue belt even to purple is, is mamish horrible because it, it's, it feels like it never ends and, 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 and it feels like, you know, when am I ever going to advance to the point of being able to, to, to come near these guys that have been doing it and, and are brown and black belts? Um, and, and you think to yourself, how could it possibly be? How could it ever end? Like, here I am, I'm training and I'm training, I'm training, I'm yeah. training, and it just doesn't end like this. 
So similarly, here I am, and another davening, another davening. You know, it takes me you know an hour to to read Birkat uh, Hamazon, and then and uh, and, wow. and and whatever it was, it was it was it was horrible. It was so humbling. It was so humbling. Aramaic's even worse. Aramaic's even worse. Where you go from the you go from the Mishnayis to the Gemara, and then you go and you have the Rashi script, and it and it never ends. And then <laughs> you throw in dice books, and then ah, oh, Bruch Hashem, you throw in the Achronim and the Rishonim. Oh. And the post scheme, huh? And when the when the Rishon, ah, the Rishon, they haven't even gotten to yet. <laughs> the Rishon, they haven't the Zohar or whatever, the Kabbalah, um, and 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 you feel like, how am I ever going to do this? But um, the first feeling is, wow, it, 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 and and I'm sure, and especially being at 31, 32 years old, and I was a very educated person, uh, even though I spent most of my life wrestling. Um, you know, I was always top of my class in, in school. I ended up getting a, a full scholarship to go to NYU. I ended up graduating NYU with honors. Um, it's, it's so, like, the intelligence factor. So now all of a sudden you go in there and you know nothing. Very and not only do you know nothing, but everybody, even the children are reading better than you, right? My son, to this day, right now, reads better than I do. He can read anything in one second. Like, I, you know, he comes home with a note and I tell him, okay, read it to me. Like, I don't know. Like, it's not, it's not Lashon HaKodesh. So the please just read that. At least I'm used to Lashon HaKodesh. So your note from your Rebbe, please just read what it says and tell me. So, you know, then he tells me, you know, I'm great. I'm the best. You know, he says, he reads it. You know, Shimon Chaim is really the best. I said, no, that's not what it says. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Smart like you. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. The difficulty is tremendous. And uh, the perseverance is, I think, the only only thing that that really helped me through it. Wow. Yeah. So, when are you writing this book? Ah. Oh, very good. Art scrolls waiting. Um, art scrolls waiting. Um, I want to write a book. What's holding you back? I want good. You know what? There's lots of things in life that hold people back, um, and uh, it's also one of the things I want to address in the book. It's it's interesting. Expectations are one of the things that that hold the person back. Um, the, the desire for, um, they call me the jujitsu rabbi, right? Because I was the North American champion in jujitsu a couple of times, but I'm only a brown belt because I took 15 years off to become from. So like, I think to myself, um, you know, maybe I should wait till I'm black belt because how can I be called the jujitsu rabbi if, 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 if I'm, if I'm a brown belt, even though I was the North American champion. There's there's only one other Brazilian, Brazilian jujitsu black belt in the world. I think it's a rabbi. He uh, might be a reformer. I'm not sure. He might be. Right. Conser- he might be um, a modern Orthodox. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. So um, maybe second. Okay, maybe. Um, none of them won the North American Championships. None of them were all Americans wrestling. Um, I think. Then, but, yeah, he started when he was so. 40. Right, and you know, you know, when should I become? You know, should I become a rabbi? You know, I which smicha do I need to to be called a rabbi? That's another another issue, and then. Then there's another issue in terms of, you know, I live in Sanhedrin. I live in one of the most frum places in the world. So if I start telling people, if I write a book about, you know, how I used to beat people up and 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 uh, and some of the low places that I've been in, maybe my kids are not going to get in, in, into school because um, getting your kid, your daughter into into high school is harder in the top high schools in Jerusalem that are from is harder than getting your kid into college in Harvard in America. I'm not joking. Serious politics. I, I'm not joking. Not only is it politics, but it's unbelievable of who you know, what you know, how good the kid is, because these high schools are jammed, packed. 
because every family has 10 kids in it and there's only very certain space. Uh, and, and, and those spaces are already taken up by people's sisters who are already in the school and, and the school teachers. So, um, it's a whole nother podcast. Uh, yeah, about should, the, the system have, over we'll here. We'll have to do that around too. But yeah, I, I, I think people will be inspired by it. Like Rabbi Yossi Wallace, famous book, Incredible, mm-hmm. you mean Incredible too. Similar. I don't think he got any pushback for that. So if, if you're going to push me to write the book, maybe I'll have to write the book so I can come back here for another podcast. But um, uh, it's definitely it's definitely something that I've talked about. I, I've, I've, I've discussed. Now, my focus now, I've been working on I, I I have a nonprofit for widows and orphans. That's yeah, let's talk I, about that. Quickly. Yeah, go ahead. What, what is this? Is nonprofit? I married a widow with four kids. I married a widow with four kids. Um, how did I do that? Just a tremendous amount of amuna. I, I was davening and I couldn't find the shidduch. I could not find the shidduch. I was dating every single uh, person who was. Uh, it had to be a beautiful girl. If it wasn't beautiful. Physically with, you know, like I was looking for the, the beautiful phys- physically with a million, you know, millions of dollars and whatever other other trait that really isn't going to help you so much in life. Um, and one of my rabbis said, you're an out of the box kind of guy. You should date out of the box. And I was at the time I was doing a tremendous amount of his bodhidut. I was I learned in Rav Shalom Arish's yeshiva, a Breslov yeshiva for many years, doing a tremendous amount of his bodhidut. And I said to Hashem, in my bodhidut, I said to Hashem. You know, I can't do it by myself. So I'm just gonna. I just bit on myself. I'm just. I'm, I'm just gonna leave it up to you. Whoever you want me to. Whoever you want me to go out with, then I'll go out with her. And if she wants to get married, I'll get married. Like I just completely wow. take take myself out of the equation. And uh, and then somebody contacted me, and she was a widow uh, with four kids. And I said I made this deal with Hashem that if she wants to go out, I'll go out. And if she wants to get married, I'll get married. And I got married. I did it. And uh, the greatest thing I ever did, and uh, amazing. And now I have three more kids, so I have seven. Um, you got married when? I got married uh, eleven years ago. Oh, that's eleven that's years amazing. ago. And uh, since she was a widow at one point in her life, and before I married her, she she knew what what being a widow was about. And so we started this organization. Uh, when some of her friends actually also lost their husbands, very interestingly, some of her very good friends also lost their husbands. And um, so we started this organization and it's grown and it's grown and we help hundreds and hundreds of widows and orphans here in Eretz Israel. And what, what's that organization called? Where it's called Or Hadassah. Or Hadassah Zikron Eliezer. Eliezer was her, was her first husband. Or Hadassah Zikron Eliezer. Um, the big things we do is we we, we, we hand out millions of shekels of clothing, brand new clothing from the best stores here in Israel. These women that they, um, they're, they're, they're anah, they're, they're simcha, their happiness a lot of times comes from, from clothing. Like the Gemara says, the Gemara says a woman's simcha comes from, if you give her, if you want to make her happy on Yom Tov, you give her clothing, you give her uh, jewelry, right? So that's how a woman feels good about herself, especially if they don't have a husband. They need something to feel good about. So we, we provide them with uh, with all brand new clothing that they can come in and, and, and take as much as they want, that they should feel mechubad. And uh, yeah, so my focus is, is is kind of been in that more 
lately than because the organization has just grown and grown more lately than in 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 in, in doing kiruv and 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 expanding my name the jujutsu rabbi um in order to be able to help people not to become famous but in order to be able to help people so i really have branched off much more into doing the uh into focusing on the widows and orphans so that's your mission now that's my that's kind of become a mission yeah that's become a mission mostly because my wife doesn't give me any other choice <laughs> <laughs> and mostly because that seems to be what's working Meaning I see very clearly uh, with the tremendous protest that I've had with the organization that uh, that's what God wants me to be doing right now. That's what Hashem wants me to be doing right now. So I'm just continuing on that. And maybe when he wants me to write a book, I'll write a book. Wow. All righty. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. It was, it was really an honor. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, really we have pleasure. to have you on for round two, Be'ez Hashem. Be'ez Hashem. You should have tremendous aslacha. And uh, you should continue to grow listening to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This is Yosef Manicherry from From Forward. Stay tuned. There's going to be a podcast each week. Uh, If you can leave a five-star review on Spotify and iTunes, that would help the podcast tremendously. Have a great day.